Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of another day. Thank you for this opportunity to gather and to worship you and to look at your word. And God, we're going to begin a a brief series now, and it's going to be a challenging one. It's going to be a tough one. But God, we want it to be one that honors you, that honors people, that honors your word. So God, I just pray that you would prepare our hearts, our minds, our ears, prepare our attitudes, because we know that there's nothing that Satan would like more than to begin to drive wedges between us, because that's what he does. That's what he's so good at. But God, it's your Holy Spirit that brings unity. Your Holy Spirit brings order out of chaos. Your Holy Spirit brings sense where there is none. And so, God, we ask that uh, even as we do something that seems like it might be fun and, and certainly will be a little bit difficult, God, we ask that it would honor you, and we ask that you would help to grow and mature us as we continue to look back to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I've got to be honest with you. When I came up with this idea, what in the world's going on with our world, I thought it was great. Then I started looking at other people who had done similar things on the Internet, and I thought, well, they're just taking this topic and that topic, and so what, what am I missing? And then as I got into it, I realized why they were doing it the way they were doing it. This might be a little bit difficult. And it's going to be difficult because in order to be honest about what's going on in our world, we've got to address things the way that they really are, not the way that we want them to be. And so my hope here is that, that I can challenge your thinking I hope that I can get you to think critically about what you believe and why, and I hope more than anything else, what we can do in this, in this series is try to take a look at those, those hot-button issues in the world, or some of them, because we're not going to get to cover all of them. And rather than saying, this is what I believe, say, why do I believe what I believe? What would God have me believe? What does Scripture say about it? So if you've got your Bible with you, realizing that I want to challenge you, I want to I want to get your thinking maybe to a level that you don't always uh, approach Scripture in the world around you. And so if you have issues, if there are things that you don't like that we talk about, you can reach the one responsible at CreatorGod at Heaven.com. That's where you need to go. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you don't, I ask you to encourage you to bring one next week. Go to Genesis 1.1. This is where we have to start. Those opening words. In the beginning, God created. Now, there's lots of explanations for how we got to where we are. There's lots of people, uh, science and other religions, and there's all kinds of answers. But what the Bible says is that in the beginning, God created. And it goes on and it recounts creation for us. And in those first few days of creation, God formed up the earth and he separated the land from the water and he put the stars in the sky and the sun and the moon. And then he began to populate the earth and the water was filled with fish and the land with animals and birds of the air and plants. And after all that was done, God said it was good. He looked at all of creation and he said it was good. God wasn't bragging. He was stating a fact. It was good. And then the Bible says that the next day God did something kind of different. He created man and woman. He put human beings on the earth. And then he said something similar, but in a way very, very different. After God created man and women, what he did was said it was very good. There was something about human beings populating earth that pleased God more than all the rest of creation. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of seeing the northern lights. Those are pretty incredible. That's very good to me. But God says it's you and I, we're very good. So the question really isn't 
what happened with creation when we ask, how did things get so twisted and crazy? It started out good. We started out very good. It isn't that God changed. It's that God gave us something that makes us truly unique. God gave us the ability to choose and make decisions for ourselves. God gave us, out of His love for us, He gave us the ability to choose to respond to Him. To choose how we feel about each other and the things of the world. If we think that the northern lights are the coolest thing, or maybe an ocean or the mountains, God lets us choose. He gives us feelings and opinions. So God gives us this ability to make decisions and to choose things. And so if, if we're going to look at the world and if, if you believe that there's something just crazy going on, what in the world is going on with our world? It isn't the world changed. The question isn't what happened to the northern lights or the mountains or the waters or the animals. The question is what happened to us? A generation, two generations ago, the things that they talked about at the dinner table. The conversations that were had when you were in a car on a Saturday afternoon drive are very different than the things that are talked about today. What's changed is us, and we've got to be okay acknowledging and and admitting that. So as I got started on this, I was telling somebody a little while ago, my first draft of this message was 17 pages long. You don't have to sit through 17 pages. It was 17 pages because that was what... I thought here, if if we're going to grab all the ideas that Scripture really helps us to sort out and understand, that's what I came up with in the first few hours. And so we're not going to be able to cover everything. We're not going to be able to cover all the the hot buttons and the big topics, and and we're not going to cover all the divisive ones, and we're not going to cover all the ones that make the news, but we're going to touch on some of them. We've only got a few weeks to do it. And I'm warning you now, while my intention is not to upset you or to offend you, you are going to have strong feelings if we do this right. And what my hope is that rather than you just run to the to the level of angry because you don't like something that you hear or how it makes you feel or think, that you say, what does Scripture really say to me about it? Why do I feel the way I feel? Why do I believe what I believe? One of the first things that came out from some of you was, awesome, we're doing a study on Revelation. It's about time. No. Here's why. Is it important that Christians understand and are familiar with the book of Revelation? It truly is. It's, it's in the Bible. It's important. It, it talks about the end of everything that we know, and, and, and it makes it uh, not always so clear, which makes it challenging, and it shouldn't be frightening, because here's the thing. It is about the revelation of one person. It's about the revelation of Jesus Christ and his return. And so there's times when we're going to reference Revelation where things that are going on in the world look like maybe they're being prophesied and discussed in the book of Revelation. And so where it's appropriate, we'll talk about those things. But Revelation is all about Jesus. Most specifically, Revelation is about knowing Jesus. You can spend years, there's people that dedicate years of their life to studying the book of Revelation. They know all about Jesus' return. But when you read their writings, they don't know Jesus. They, they don't know Jesus as their Savior, so they know all about it. They know about the book, but they don't know about Him. And so knowing the book of Revelation inside and out without knowing Jesus as your personal Savior does you absolutely no good. It's a waste in time and a waste of energy. First Thessalonians 5.2 says this, if you're a note taker, First Thessalonians 5.2. For you are, yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You can spend your whole life 
studying and looking for signs about when Jesus returns. You can think that you are as ready as anybody on earth for when he comes back. You might even have a day, a time, an hour picked out. But if you don't know him personally, he's going to come back and leave you behind. To know everything about Revelation and not know Jesus does you absolutely no good. And so what we really need to do is, when we have time, read the book of Revelation, study, no, but we need to know Jesus. We need to grow in our relationship with Jesus. We need to prepare and we need to share him with the people around us who don't know him. And so no, this isn't going to be an in-depth study on the book of Revelation. We're going to touch on it where it's appropriate and then we're going to trust the rest to God. Because what we really need to do is to know Jesus. Think about thieves. It's an interesting passage in Thessalonians. Generally speaking, thieves do not announce their arrival. Part of being a thief, I think, is that you've got to be a little bit sneaky. You try to get in and get out before anybody knew you were really there. Because if you knew that the thief was coming, you would make preparations. You'd hide your stuff. You'd lock down your home. You'd protect your family. And so that when the robber came, you would be able to defeat them or send them, send them away. That's why Jesus uses this as a, about a thief. It, it isn't about Jesus being a thief at all. It's about we'll never know. It's a surprise. You, you can know that it's possible that a robber might come to your home, but you're never going to know when, and so you prepare. Matthew 25, Jesus shares the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids. And they're waiting for a wedding and they're waiting for the groom. And, and these ten women are outside waiting and they've got oil lamps because back in Jesus' day, that's what they had. And it says five of them had prepared and brought more oil and five didn't. Five ran out of oil and those five were not prepared when the bridegroom came at midnight. It gets right back to the importance of knowing Jesus rather than knowing all about the book of Revelation. Because when Jesus comes as a church, as individuals, we want to be ready. The lesson of that parable is it's our responsibility to be prepared for whenever Jesus returns. The Bible says Jesus doesn't even know. God alone does. And for us to think that we can study a book and understand it is just ridiculous because it contradicts Scripture. If we talk all about his return and we think that we've got it all figured out and you understand the signs to look for, but you do not know him as a Savior then you have completely missed the point of the book of Revelation. One of the reasons that uh, we've been inviting people to share personal testimonies is because personal, personal testimonies are a biblical response to sharing God at work in our world and how God is at work in us. And and as you go through all of this, as we sort through these issues and think about what we feel about them and, and how we believe and why we believe them, all of those things shape your testimony. Because if your testimony is all about how you feel, it's a pretty empty testimony. That's more of a resume. But if your testimony is about God and Him at work in your life, that becomes a testimony. A few things this won't be, because people asked me about this over the last week. It will not be a political forum. It will not be driven by the social agendas of our day and trying to spew opinions on the state of our country or the politics or the president, past or former. It's not going to be about that. We don't have time for those things, quite honestly. There's probably some topics you're going to want to touch on. Some of you will want to let me know about those. We're not going to have time to get to all of them. We just don't have that kind of time. But my intention is not to offend you. It's not to stir up anger or division or frustration or reasons why you think that I've got it all wrong. I maybe will. But we're going to go back to the Bible because we know that God always gets it right. 
I do, however, hope that you have strong feelings. I hope you have strong feelings on the things that we cover, and I hope that how you feel about them is that they matter to you. Because these are the things that are going on in my world. It's my prayer that, that the topics hit close to home. If not for you personally, that you're able to, to recognize why it is that it matters in our world. The problem is that as soon as that happens, we get to one of the devil's favorite weapons. The weapon is offense. The phrase is, I'm offended. We hear about it in the news all the time. I'm offended. My group is offended. We as a people are offended. Satan loves the word offense. He loves the feeling and the action and the result of offense. Because offense every time divides people. We lose common ground. We lose the ability to have respectful conversations because the moment that we're offended, we drive a wedge between us and the person who's offended us because we don't want to hear them because they don't get it. They don't understand. They don't agree. And we start to try to protect ourselves as though we have to protect ourselves from other ideas, even if they're not our own. And that division ends up hardening our hearts, and that's what Satan wants. Satan wants us as Christians not to talk about the difficult, challenging things of God. Satan wants us not to talk about the things that maybe are uncomfortable. But what he will do is he will make sure that we understand how quickly and how completely we can get offended. And the right that we believe that we have to be offended. It's one of the most profound causes of relationship fractures in America. Whether it's between husband and wife, parent and child, friends, church members, whatever it is, different groups in our culture and society, offense is the thing that causes those fractures. And it's one of the most profound tools of Satan. The separation and the isolation that we have felt in the pandemic the last couple of years has only made that worse. It's made it worse because oftentimes we engage and interact with people on computers and through social media without actually talking face to face. We're a lot more bold when there's not a person sitting across the table from us. We say a lot more daring things when all we have to do is choose to turn on or not turn on that device. And what's happened is it seems that as a people we've become less kind. And so what I, what I really want us to do is to talk and think critically about challenging issues and thoughts and why you believe what you believe about them. So I went back and forth for a couple of days about whether I was going to start this way. But here's where we're going to begin. And this isn't going to be the end of this topic because it comes up in a lot of ways in our world. I'm going to make a very simple statement. In fact, all I'm going to do is quote a very short Bible verse. And in that Bible verse, you're going to understand how easily things can get heated up and how quickly people can get divided. Because what you're going to do for some of us, you're not even going to hear the Bible verse. You're going to hear your disagreement with that Bible verse. You're going to hear why it is that people think that the Bible is old and it doesn't matter anymore. And what's going to happen is it's going to stir up for some of us thoughts and feelings that right away we're going to go, okay, I'm ready for a fight. I'm ready to get offended. Are you ready? Going to go back to Genesis chapter 1 again, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Anybody ready for a fight? I see smiles out there and you're looking at me like, I'm glad that's you, not me. Simple scriptural truth. That's what God did in the, in the very first part of of the history of humankind was he created man and woman. 
And we went back to the beginning, but isn't it interesting at the beginning when I made that statement, nobody was offended at all. But now you're thinking about it a little bit differently, and you're engaging the issues in our culture. And suddenly you've got to make a decision, or you're being told you have to make a decision. Are you going to believe what the Bible says, or are you going to believe what this group of people says? And my challenge throughout this whole series is going to be, if we believe something based on how we feel about it, there's a very good chance that it isn't rooted in Scripture. In Genesis, God created the male and female. Here's the deal. Adam didn't choose to be a man, and Eve didn't choose to be a woman. God created them that way. And then God gave them gifts and talents and abilities in the way that God chose to do so because God created them. See, that simple scriptural truth, foundational, basic, that should be the one place that Christians all over the world are able to agree on. The creation story in Genesis, even if we don't understand it, as Christians, that's what we we look to. But what ends up happening is that we read the Bible and verses and understand political and social issues, choose political affiliations through our preferred political and social lens. How we feel about things is what matters. How we see the world is what we say matters, rather than choosing political positions and political parties based on what the Bible says. That isn't what we do. That's not what we're taught to do in America. And there is the heart of our biggest problem, is that this book that that for as many years as it's been written is the source of God's word. It reveals God's character and God's heart. And what we're being told now in so many places is, yeah, but it's out of date and it doesn't matter anymore. And yet to a Christian, that's the thing that we've got to go back to. Maybe you don't like all of it. Maybe you don't agree with all of it. But you can't determine it not to be true because you don't like it. See, oftentimes we believe that our preferred version of truth is more important to us than God's truth revealed to us in his word. And if you find yourself doing that, be careful. That's a very, very slippery slope. That'll find you sliding away from sound teaching and sliding away from God faster than just about anything else. If we don't like what the Bible says, well, we ignore it. We make fun of it. We say it doesn't hold true anymore. It isn't relevant. For 11 and a half years, we say our messages come straight out of God's word because we believe God's word is as relevant today as in the days that it was written. And if you don't ignore it, well, let, let, let's say that that's not enough. I want to do more than that. I'm going to make laws. I'm going to see that things get passed in law that God says are against whatever it is that his will for us and his original design. And so we pick and choose sides based on who agrees with us. Instead, what we should be doing as Christians is agreeing with God and then letting God's word sort the rest of it out for us. See, the word, and we're going to get to this in a little bit, the word that matters the most at this point is love. We don't have to agree with everyone. We don't have to understand everyone. Not everyone's beliefs or, or issues or agendas have to make sense to us, but as Christians, we're called to love. And what ends up happening is because we don't agree, we decide, well, I can't love, I'm not even going to like you. And that division, that wedge, just gets bigger. Across the globe, it isn't just in America, people have tossed out simple foundational Biblical, and yes, to say male and female is biblical truth, is biblical truth and biological truth. In favor of this thing that is so in vogue today, this right to choose beyond what it is that God has given us. 
in, in our world to make the assertion now that there are two genders, male and female, goes against everything that some people want us to believe. And in, in some locations to say that, that's actually considered hate speech. And yet in the Bible, if we're going to believe it, it says that God created them male and female. There was a pastor's wife in Scandinavia a few months ago that got put in prison for making that statement. That's the world that we've created. That's the world that we've elected politicians to rule. That's the world that we have placed judge, judges in position of power to decide legal cases on. What's happened isn't that the world changed. We did. Brings us to the first topic, and we need to talk a little bit more about it then. There's been a perfect storm in America, I think, of factors that, that have brought us to a place that we've never been before as a country. And I, it seems to me, as much as I've tried to read about it and understand it, the result has come from a lot of different directions. It's no one single thing. It's not just one group of people trying to change the thinking. We've blurred every line that has ever existed. We blurred every line, whether it's morality or ethics or politics or religions or relationships. We've moved the bar of what, generally speaking, was understood as normal and what was accepted, and we've altered this standard. Almost everything except our self-proclaimed right to be offended, that we hold on to. That, in fact, we have entrenched. It's like the right to be offended is a constitutionally guaranteed privilege. We reserve the right to be offended by anything or anyone, in fact, everyone and everything. And somewhere we can find a court who will hear the case, an attorney who will bring a lawsuit, and we can litigate it. And if we can just get a law passed, then we can say, then I'm right. My being offended was right. And so we litigate and sue each other and and yet, at the end of the day, every single one of us expects everyone else to respect and appreciate and support and agree with our way of seeing things. And yet, clearly, we don't. Because we've lost the Bible as our base. And if there's someone who doesn't support or agree or encourage our way of thinking, rather than disagreeing with them in America, we've decided that they're an enemy. And so now we've got this new word, woke. You better be woke. And along with the new word woke, we've got this cancel culture. That if people don't agree with us, we just do away with them. That isn't, that isn't some unknown factor in the world at work. That's us. We live in a country where the First Amendment is a guaranteed uh, privilege. It's a guaranteed right by our Constitution. Yet it, it's being challenged by some people, religious and otherwise, because free speech has suddenly become offensive. I'm offended by your free speech. I'm offended by you saying in public what I have to hear and don't agree with. And so even that constitutional privilege is being challenged. And what we've seen in America is this, this agenda-driven, and it isn't just one, there's a lot of them. An agenda-driven, almost gang-style mentality that has overtaken our country to the point where in, in some, institu uh, some instances, tiny portions of the population are now dictating what everyone else has to think and be taught and to learn in school. Maybe that's progress. That's what some people say. But, but what used to happen is that we engaged in dialogue and, and conversation when we didn't agree with someone. 
So why do you believe that? Why do you think that? And then maybe we left enough room in our minds that, that we'd say, okay, I'm willing to have my opinion or understanding changed. I love talking scripture and faith and all things religion with people because I don't know it all. I never will. And when people challenge what I think I believe, I've got to take a deep look at why it is I believe what I believe. And the answer around here for 11 and a half years is, what does your church believe? Well, you know what? If we haven't made a statement about it, we're going to go back to Scripture. We're going to see what the Bible says. And for some people, that right there is enough to walk away. I don't care what the Bible says. I want to know that your church agrees with me. So when we've got someone who's got an opinion or belief or a lifestyle choice that might be different than our own, It's easiest just to drive a wedge and to be a little bit offended. See, we've lost, I think we've given up the right to respectfully disagree with each other. Since when is a a good, healthy conversation a bad thing? And then rather than talk to people face to face, we vent on social media because then we don't feel responsible for the inflammatory things that we say because there's not a real person there. But you better believe there is. There's a real person trying to live their life in the middle of that mess just like you are. In America, we've moved from a very, very healthy conversation about equal rights. And what's happening now in America is that it's more about controlling rights, controlling government policy, controlling the media, controlling students, whether it's in elementary school or college. What may be said and what may not be said. It's this new cancel culture mentality that we have that... that, has us reducing to publicly humiliating people because they don't agree with us. And then when we publicly humiliated, we effectively eliminate them, whether it's them or their beliefs because they're not in line with with whatever the small majority is. Because we believe that we've got this right to be offended, and if we're offended, someone has to make it right for us. In America, we've become more bitter. We've become more vindictive. When as Christians, we should be more humble and gentle. John Bevere wrote this great book called The Bait of Satan, and he makes this quote in it. So I'm going to open the quote here. Bitterness is a root. If roots are nurse-watered, protected, fed, and given attention, they increase in in depth and strength. Think of this about being offended and, and becoming bitter. If not dealt with quickly, roots are hard to pull up. The strength of the offense will continue to grow. We are therefore exhorted not to let the sun go down on our wrath. That's Ephesians 4.26. Now, instead of the fruit of righteousness being produced, we will see a harvest of anger, resentment, jealousy, hatred, strife, and discord. Jesus called these evil fruits. The Bible says, end quote, evil fruits, end quote. The Bible says that the world will know us by our fruit. Offense produces bad fruit. Offense grows a root when we don't check it. And the bad fruit gets out there and spreads and it can spoil a whole lot. A root of bitterness produces bad fruit. When you hear someone say something that you don't agree with, don't allow yourself to be offended. Ask yourself, why does that bother me? Because you don't want that root of offense to begin to grow. Because I'll tell you what, that root of offense will find a way to grow faster and deeper and stronger than just about anything that you can feed it other than God's Word. If you feel offended or put out by someone, don't get mad at them. Ask yourself why. Why does this bother me? What about what they're saying? What about what they believe causes me to be so uncomfortable? 
It might be that they will never agree with your belief on Scripture. That's okay. That's between them and God. But you need to understand what it is that's causing the offense in you. So if we go back to the beginning, then the truth of our whole universe begins with the words, in the beginning God created. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, and he declared it all to be good. God created man and woman and declared them to be very good. So what has gone so haywire? Why do we even need to have a series like this? What's gone haywire is human beings. Sin. Not just the, the sin of offense, but all the other stuff that Satan makes look so good. And if we don't put a check, if we don't say, why do I feel the way I feel? Why am I bothered by that? In Psalm 81.12, God says, So I let them follow their own stubborn desires, living according to their own ideas. Can you just hear God saying that? So I let them follow their own stubborn desires, living according to their own ideas. This is what we see so much in America and around the world in our politics and culture and even in religion. Because in religion, we're being told that the Bible says things that there's no reasonable way of reading in the Bible. But it fits what we want to believe. So the solution, it's actually like so many things, it's really simple. But we don't want the solution. Around here, we've got a simple phrase for it. Love Jesus, love people, teach people to love Jesus. You can spend the rest of your life working to get that right, to do it to the best of your ability. You won't have time to be offended. Love Jesus, love people, teach people to love Jesus. Love is not offended. Love doesn't gossip. Love doesn't envy. Love isn't concerned about power. If you've read 1 Corinthians, you know I'm starting to take off on 1 Corinthians 13. Passage that's read at weddings all the time. And so what I do at, at some weddings when they say, would you read that passage, 1 Corinthians 13? What I say to them is I encourage them. I'm going to encourage you now and I'm going to read it. Take the word love and switch that word and, and personalize it and say I. Because as followers of Jesus, we want to lead with love. We don't want to lead with our opinions. We want to lead with God's truth. We certainly don't want to lead looking for fights or to be offended. We want to lead with love. So 1 Corinthians 13, if you've got your Bibles, open up to that one, please. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Love is patient. You can do it this way. I am patient. Love is kind. I am kind. Love does not envy or boast. I will not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant. I refuse to be arrogant. Love is not rude. I'm not going to be rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Imagine if we just took those. I will not insist on my own way. I will not be irritable. I will not be resentful. If we're living in love of Jesus, this is what our life is going to be. This is going to be the good fruit. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. I will not rejoice at wrongdoing, but I will rejoice with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Imagine if that was the way that we treated relationships with people, even when we didn't agree with them. I bear with all things, I believe all things, I hope all things, I endure all things. Love never ends. You end that with my love will never end. Kind of how we understand Jesus' love for us, right? My love for you will never end. That's the promise. So how do we address this thing that's going on in the world? We become love. Even, even for people who we think don't deserve it, even for people who don't agree with us, even for people who think that we're crazy. We just celebrated Resurrection Sunday one week ago, and that whole celebration is celebrating the ultimate display of God's love for us in His Son, Jesus. 
And Jesus loved people. You go throughout the New Testament, it is so clear. Jesus didn't shy away from controversial people. Jesus didn't shy away from difficult conversations. But he always treated people with dignity and respect. Jesus never embarrassed a sinner. But he loved them too much to allow them to stay there. Jesus didn't love telling people secrets and stories. Jesus loved people despite their secrets and stories and showed them a better way. Jesus never told a single person that they were going to hell. Jesus always pointed them to heaven. Jesus always sought relationships with people because then he could point them to repentance and forgiveness. And so often in the church, we insist that we're right or this stand is right or I am right. And what we do is we eliminate any possibility of relationship, any possibility of a conversation about sin and repentance and most importantly, forgiveness. Because we want to be right. And what we end up doing is offending other people. Unfortunately, those things that Jesus did, that's not how much of America works. And that includes an awful lot of Christians today. So all that to say, the book of Revelation that we're not going to dive into points to Jesus. But if you don't know him, knowing about the book of Revelation doesn't help you a bit. We should reflect Jesus in our lives, our words, our work, and yes, even our politics. should always point people to Jesus. See, you and I, we can't change the world. It's a big place and there's a lot going on. But you know what we can do? We can see people. We can say to people. And how we treat people can be more like Jesus than the rest of the world. You want to make a profound statement in someone's life? Surprise them. Love them like Jesus does. Rather than thinking that we're helpless of this world around us and there's nothing we can do, we can present ourselves as hope-filled followers of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is the only thing that's going to change the world. And that's what Revelation is all about, is when Jesus comes back. And we can argue, we can fight, we can be offended. But if we don't know Jesus, it's all for nothing. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would work with us through this series as we look at these difficult things. We've all got opinions. We've all, we all feel that we have a right and a reason for them, God. And you created us that way. But you also gave us your word. You gave us your word as the foundational truth of who you are, of your character of your love for us, of what you expect of us, and of the world that we live in. God, we're just, quite frankly, not smart enough to know more than you. We're not smart enough to rewrite your word. We're not smart enough to make decisions and live in a way that's better than what you created us for. So God, humble us. Humble us before you that we would recognize that you truly are our creator. And you created us in your image. And when you had done that, you deemed us to be very good. God, we want to be very good followers and examples of what it is to be a believer in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.